I'm Tyler coming to you from the uh, Sports and Spirituality Library in Verona, Wisconsin, and it is a sunny, beautiful day. So we're going to be doing a little, uh, doing some Packers Pride on video with me, and uh, I'm very cute today. I know that. So we're going to be doing it with. I'm going to be the. It's going to be a Chuck Mercine is going to be the first guy. And Ice Bowl legend. Alright, Chuck Mercine is wrapped up in another crazy day on Wall Street. His phone never stops ringing. Clients' demands never cease. And Mercine, a sales trader for many years, is going at a frenzied pace. Going at a frenzied pace. But in the midst of the hustle and bustle, Three simple words can still put Mercine in an almost trance-like state and being the bedlam, and bring the bedlam around him to a stop. The ice bowl. Every minute, every second of that final drive, I can still remember it. Mercine said of Green Bay's 21-17 win over Dallas in the 1967 NFL championship game. I remember it like it was yesterday. And why not? In arguably the most unforgettable game in NFL history, Mercine was arguably the most valuable Packer. That day, when the kickoff temperature was 13 degrees below zero, and the wind chill was minus 46, Green Bay took the field with four minutes, 50 seconds left, trailing the White Cowboys 17-14. I still remember Ray Nishke walking off the field yelling at the offense, Don't let me down, said Racine, a fullback, playing in just his second, his seventh game with the Green Bay. Well, I sure wasn't going to be the one to let Nishke down. He did. The Packers proceeded to put together one of the greatest drives in league history, a 12-point, 68-yard march that quarterback Bart Starr captured a nine-yard touchdown, or, Kevin with a one-yard touchdown dive with 13 seconds remaining. Without Mercine, though, Green Bay would have never been in that position. On the drive of all drives, Mercine accounted for 34 of the Packers' 68 yards. Put them in position for one of the greatest victories in franchise history. Just great to be placed in a position to make a contribution, said Mercine. Was born in Milwaukee, moved to Chicago when he was in junior high, and later attended Yale. You always hope to be up to bat with the bases loaded and two outs. That's all I could have asked for. The Packers certainly couldn't have asked for any more than Boomer Scene. He got Green Bay's initial first down on the drive with a seven yard run around the right end. After the Packers drove to the Dallas 30-yard line with 1 minute and 35 seconds remaining, Mercine made the biggest catch of his life. Mercine noticed during the drive that he was being left open in the left flat. He then did something extremely rare. He suggested to start in the huddle as the quarterback looked his way. Sure enough, Mercine was open. And on a day when the conditions were nightmarish, Mercine made a fantastic adjustment. Hauling in the pass and got out of bounds after a 19-yard gain, 
19-yard gain to the Dallas 11. Nobody talked in the huddle except Bart, Rosine said of Star, who called all the plays. But I told him, I'm open in the left flat. Look for me if you need me. It was a tough adjustment. But I had a decent hands and made a big catch. Rosine followed that with a long run, with a big run. Packers ran a play called Give 54 that looked like a variation of the Green Bay sweep and was designed to take advantage of the over of the aggressiveness of Cowboys Hall of Fame tackle Bob Lilly. Star picked the sweep, Lilly followed the guard, leaving a huge hole for Racine, who rumbled eight yards to the three yard line. Star made a brilliant call, Mercy, instead of the give, give play. It was a very, very good call, and I almost got in. Mercy thought he'd get his chance to score after the Packers moved to the one-yard line, took their final timeout with 16 seconds left. In the huddle, Star called 35 wedge, but he designed for Mercy to get the ball. Bart Star worried that icy conditions could lead to Mercine slipping. And without telling anyone, Bart decided to run a quarterback sneak. Mercine got a good start and didn't slip. And, added, and when Star kept it and scored, Mercine was initially stunned. But to this day, Mercine doesn't have a single regret with how the final play unfolded. Honest to goodness, I want to change the thing, Racine said. It would have been great to get the uh, get, to get the last yard. It would have been the cherry on top of the icing. But Bob was so intelligent and so smart. It was right. It was the right percentage move. Turns out coming to Green Bay was the right move for Racine too. Racine began his career with the New York Giants in 1965. And it was the team's leading rusher in 1966. But he didn't see eye-to-eye with Giants coach Alex Sherman, who played for Racine on waivers in 1967. Racine wasn't quite ready for a 9-to-5 job, so he stayed, stayed sharp working with the Westchester Bulls, a farm team of the Giants. Midway through that 1967 season, Racine was all set to sign with the Washington Redskins when he got an unexpected call. It was Sunday night and Coach Lombardi called and he said, I understand you're talking to the Redskins, Mercene recalled. He said, we lost both our backs today, Elijah Pitts and Jim Grabowski, and we could really use your help. How would you like to play for the world champion Green Bay Packers? I told my wife to unpack that car. I was going to the Packers. That was a wonderful woman. That was a wonderful moment for me. And for the Packers, Mercine was starting at fullback the next week. And of course, he helped the Packers go on to win Super Bowl II and his third straight world championship. I really had a bruised ego when I got there, Mercine said, who played with Green Bay through the 1969 season before finishing up his career in Washington and with the New York Jets. But going there and playing well was such a validation to my ability. I did what I was capable of doing and helped them win a world championship. 
It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Racine's life after football was awfully successful too. But he was the first to admit the throw of Wall Street. Never could match the highs of football. Nothing could ever match the 15 minutes of fame the ice ball brought. Those are, mo those are moments that will never be forgotten, Racine said. I, got, I still get stuff to sign every week. It was such a privilege to be a part of it all. Safe to say, Packer fans feel the privilege was theirs. All right. He, uh, he was such a living legend. That, you know, and I was just going to say, I think they tried to give the ball to uh, Donnie Anderson a couple times and uh, when they were down real close. And what happened was Anderson couldn't get his footing, so Starr just decided to keep it and sneak in because he realized that uh, it wasn't gonna it, was, it wasn't gonna happen for him if they if he didn't keep if he didn't keep the ball and sneak it in. So that says uh, that says a lot about his uh, about Starr's uh, keen mind, uh, and, you know. And so, anyways, on. To Barty Smith. Barty Smith was going to be the next great running back in Green Bay. He was set to grab the torch from John Brockington, who had taken it from Jim Taylor and Paul Horning. As Green Bay's number one draft pick in 1974 and the 12th overall selection that year, many predicted greatness for Smith. But before Smith ever put on a Packer uniform, his career seemed cursed. Playing in the coaches' All-American all game in 1974, Smith suffered a major left knee injury that sidelined him most of his rookie year and caused him to play through great pain over the next seven years. I had to come to rookie camp that year fat and happy. I was not in good condition, said Smith, who played in Green Bay from 74 to 1980. So I made a commitment to get ready to play before camp, and I had myself in super shape. That was all blown out of the water after the game I knew was a mess. Got even worse, Smith was played by that same knee throughout his seven-year at Green Bay career. After Smith's playing days ended, he had eight knee surgeries before eventually getting his left knee replaced. You don't want to hear Smith complain. Smith became a senior vice president of sales for Loveland Distributing, a beer wholesaler in his hometown of Richmond, Virginia. Smith remarried and has three sons from that marriage. Things are going great. I feel really blessed, he said. I enjoy going to work, and I think there are people who can truthfully say that I have an absolutely great family. Really, I'm blessed and couldn't be happier. Smith would have been happier if his, pro, if his football days had followed a different path. Six foot three, 228 pounds, Smith was a true power runner in his day. It was compared to Miami's Larry Zonka when he was coming out of Richmond. But after injuring his knee during the coach's all-star All-American game, Smith wasn't the same. 
Injury took away a bunch of Smith's rookie season, and when he returned that year, he was moved permanently to fullback, and he's primarily primarily as a blocker. Smith began seeing a bigger role in the offense over the next few seasons. And by 1977, the coaches felt confident enough in him that they released Washington. I just want to say a couple of things quick. Um, Eddie Lavery lost, had two knee operations off the same crappy turf in Chicago. That artificial crap, junk. And, uh, and I didn't know Barry Smith got hurt there too. The same, same crap. It's just from Hallis being cheap. That's all it was. 1977, Smith led Green Bay in rushing yards 554 and receptions 37. He followed that up with 567 rushing yards and 37 catches in 1978. Can you come in with something else? Buckets had about 18 knee surgeries too. Off that stupid turf. Following the 1977 season, Smith was named Green Bay Offensive Player of the Year by the Wisconsin Sports Raiders. Well, his stats that year were far from pro caliber. They were the best on a 4-10 Packer team. Just to show you how bad it was in Green Bay, those stats were not very good, Smith admitted. But it was a real testimony to our team, I guess. Smith's Nino was in constant state of deterioration, and the pain was becoming too much to play with. 1980, Smith's role was extremely limited, and he knew he couldn't pass a physical, causing him to retire. Smith finished his Green Bay career with 1,942 rushing yards, 979 receiving yards. Several thoughts of what could have been. I think I had an acceptable career. I'm not ashamed of it, but it could have been a whole lot better if it was for the knee. The pain there never went away, particularly in the later stages of his career. I just didn't have any confidence or strength in it. Plus, in my left side, I was developing atrophy. But that was all just... And that all just does something to your psyche. The constant losing certainly didn't help. During Smith's seven years in Green Bay, the Packers' world winning season came in 1978 when they went 8-7-1. However, all Green Bay was 37-65-2 and and in Smith's time. I don't think anyone likes losing. And that was not a good situation, Smith said. Everyone here is coming from high school success and college success, and all of a sudden, the bottom falls out. That doesn't mean Smith doesn't have many fond memories. As a boy in Virginia, Smith grew up idolizing Bart Starr and was thrilled to get a chance to play for him in 1975. But Smith admits Starr was in over his head when he began. Former head coach Dan Devine left an empty cardboard for, for Starr after he gave away five high draft picks for over-the-hill quarterback John Hale. I was awestruck to play for a legend like Bart, Smith said. I had an awful lot of respect for him. I was very dedicated and always meant nothing to him. 
It's such a huge disadvantage after that trade. That a huge hole to climb out from. We gave it our best, but the talent level wasn't that it needed to be. Smith includes in that category mainly due to the injury. Even though his teams were never successful, he still battled chronic pain. Smith doesn't have a single regret. No way, says Smith, who played for $150,000 his rookie year, $90,000 his final season. I never looked at it as a job. I enjoy the sport, AR competition, and the contact when traded and when traded. The fans were unbelievable to us. Even though they struggled on the field, they were great to us. We made a special place. Thanks to get to see them doing so well now. I like that one a lot. I remember uh, Barty Smith growing up. And uh, on to James Starks. Three games, 29 rushing attempts, 101 yards, and an average of 3.48 per carry. These were James Starks' mediocre statistics during the 19, or during, during the 2010 regular season. So when the Packers traveled to Philadelphia for a wild card playoff game, Starks probably wasn't anybody's choice to play hero, right? Probably not, Starks said, but I was ready. I came in that game ready to play, ready for an opportunity, and it showed. One of the most unlikely performances in Packers postseason history, Starks erupted for 123 rushing yards. 22 more than his entire season. Starks overrates back to the Packers past the Eagles by a score of 21 to 16 and put him in the record books as well. Starks totally established a Packers rookie postseason record, breaking the old mark of 88 yards by Travis, the road runner, Williams, set in 1967. Four weeks later, the Packers were in Super Bowl champions. And Stark's performance that first playoff game was a big reason why. James was a difference maker, Packers coach Mike McCarthy said of Starks. He was a difference maker for us just the way he was running the ball. He's a gifted athlete. He's a longer levered individual and he falls forward. And I just love running backs that fall forward especially when they're six feet two. Starks missed the first 11 games of the 2010 season with a hamstring injury. He saw action in three games, but was healthy, inactive in week 16. But one, one afternoon, Starks, a six-throwing draft pick out of Buffalo, etched his name in the Packer history books. The way that Starks was running the ball tonight was maybe one of the most important factors to this win. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers said that night, he ran great and I'm so happy for him. He is a great kid and he really grown a lot in the past couple of weeks. He was big tonight. Starks certainly won't have it, I'm trying to, Starks certainly won't have been a trendy pick to play hero. He had the coming-off party of sorts with a 73-yard effort 
against San Francisco in week 13. Over the final month of the season, Starks had just 11 carries and was inactive in two of the Green Bay's final three games. All you can do is be ready, Stark said. That is what I did. Just wait for my opportunity, and when it arrives, I try to make the best of it. McCarthy played several elements of Stark's game, but Green Bay's head coach didn't fully trust Stark's late in the year because his practice habits were sloppy. I just haven't been practicing well, Stark said late that season. It's something I've just got to get used to. Coming from college to the NFL has been a major, has been a lot different. Practice tempo is a lot different. No, coaches harp on that, and that's something I have to get better at. Best players pick themselves up. I'm just going to keep practicing, getting better. Stark did exactly that against the Eagles. Stark ripped off a 27-yard run on his first carry of the day, setting the thing, setting the tone for things to come. Stark ran for 36 yards on that drive. When it ended with the Rodgers touchdown pass to tight end Tom Crabtree. By halftime, Stark had 51 yards on eight carries. Well, he really cranked it up in the second half. After the Eagles trimmed Green Bay's lead to 14-10 early in the third quarter, the Packers answered back with an 11-play, 80-yard touchdown march. Starks had five carries for, 52, for 32 yards on that drive, including a 19-yard burst off left tackle. Starks had 15 carries in the second half alone, and accounted for 79.3% of the rushes by Green Bay running running backs. Yeah, he surprised me a little bit, Eagles defensive tackle Antonio Dixon said of Starks. But it's the NFL. Anything can happen any week. Green Bay entered the game running the ball just 43.6% of the time, ran it 54.2% against the Eagles. The Packers often operated the falls backfield in which fullbacks Quinn Johnson and John Kuhn led the way for Starks. Obviously, that was probably the biggest difference. Eagle safety Kirk Coleman set of Starks. They just kept running the ball and they ran the ball well. He fought a lot of holes and kept on running and got the tough yards. It didn't stop for Starks either during the 2010 postseason. Starks added 70 yards rushing per game. In Green Bay's next two playoff contests, a pair of wins that helped the Packers win the NFC. Starks then just had just 11 carries in the 45th Super Bowl, but averaged 4.7 yards a carry. Starks' performance in those 2010 playoffs helped the Packers' offense gain some balance. And Starks was just a huge reason the Packers eventually became Super Bowl champions. Hard work really does pay off. I'm a very firm believer in that, Starks said. I'm a hard worker. I'm going to go in and give it my all. I'm very confident in my ability. 
I'm going to prove for a lot of people that I'm healthy. I can do a lot of things that some people thought I couldn't do. So I'm going to continue to work hard, continue to try, and get better, and be the best athlete I can be for the team. My number's called, I'll be ready. Starks was certainly ready against Philadelphia Eagles, and for that, his place in Packer history will forever be secure. And Todd again, uh, I was going to say too, as I'm reading from Packers Pride, Leroy Butler and Rob Reichel, and the copyright is 2013. Alrighty, we're going to go on to Jim Taylor. The game time temperature was 13 degrees and falling. Winds gusted up to 40 miles per hour. Many players said that Conditions were worse than the legendary ice bowl. The field was hard and frozen. When players fell, there were pieces of dirt that cut like glass. Jim Taylor didn't have gloves that day for the 1962 NFL Championship game. Players didn't wear them back then. But in February, there was a 60-minute performance that defined Taylor. That was it. Taylor ran for 85 runs that day and 31 carries and scored the lone offensive touchdown. His remarkable toughness helped Green Bay defeat the host New York Giants 16-7 for their second straight NFL championship. That was just brutal. Brutal football game, Taylor said. We didn't wear gloves back then and my hands were almost frozen. So that made it even worse. And we accepted it and just went out and did our job. Taylor did his job as well as any running back the Packers have ever had. And it was Green Bay's all-time leading rusher until Amon Green passed him in 2009. Taylor finished his Packers career with 8,207 yards. And he had five consecutive 1,000-yard seasons between 1960 and 1964, and ran for a career-best 1,474 yards in 1962. Taylor was named the NFL's most valuable player in the 1962 season. He went on to win four championships with the Packers, earned a trip to five Pro Bowls, and was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1976. Taylor had a myriad of terrific games, but few contests displayed his grit and toughness better than the 1962 championship game. The first quarter, Taylor was drilled by legendary Giants linebacker Sam Huff, tore up his elbow, bit his tongue, and swallowed blood the rest of the half. That never had happened to me ever before, Taylor said. It was tough. The so was Taylor. Getting stitched up at halftime, Taylor played on and played at a remarkably high level on a miserable day for football. Did everything I could do to that expletive, Humphrey called later. 
Taylor just stared at him, though, and said, That's your best shot? That's how Taylor always played the game. Taylor came from Green Bay out of LSU, or Louisiana State University, as the 15th pick overall in the 1958 draft. At 6 feet and 214 pounds, Taylor wasn't a big back by any means. He also didn't have blazing speed. A few players could match Taylor's toughness. That was, probably my, that was probably my greatest attribute, Taylor said. It was going to be tough for another player to get the best of me, that's for sure. Taylor led the Packers in rushing for seven seasons, 1960 to 1966. A mark topped only by Clark Hinkle, who did so between 1932 and 1941. Taylor had 26 games with more than 100 yards rushing, which ranked second in team history. Taylor also averaged 4.53 yards per carry, which ranked second all-time to Gary Ellis, 4.58. Taylor set a team record with 19 touchdowns in 1962, a mark that stood for 41 years. Taylor had four touchdowns in a game three times in his NFL career, interceptions, and ranked second to Hudson, 105. But perhaps the statistic Taylor remains most proud of is his, is his fumbles, or lack thereof. 2,166 career touches, both rushing and receiving, Taylor had just 34 fumbles. That equates to just one fumble every 63.7 touches. A mark that stood until Detroit's Barry Sanders shattered it with one fumble every 83.8 touches. I was very conscious to maintain my hold on the football, Taylor said. I was always very conscientious of maintaining the football, and that's a record I always cherished. I feel I was above average in maintaining the football. Taylor was above average in every aspect of the game. The bruising runner who saw defenders as much as they searched for him. He wasn't elusive, but bringing him down often took multiple defenders. Throwing the fact he operated behind one of the greatest offensive lines, ever settled in the passion Vince Lombardi had for the running game. And you can see why Taylor excelled. I was clearly running behind the best offensive line in football, said Taylor, who was also inducted into the Pro Packer Hall of Fame in 1975. Did Coach Lombardi stress that part of the game more than anything? We were going to run the ball 65% of the time or so, and Bart was only going to have to throw about 15 times a game. But as I look back, I can say I feel good about the contribution I made to the Packers era and the Lombardi era. I feel good about it. He should. But after years of excelling, Taylor and Lombardi reached an impasse. 
Prior to the 1966 season, the Packers had given youngsters Jim Grabowski and Donnie Anderson big contracts to the backfield of the future. Taylor was always one of the staunchest negotiators among Packers players. We can't determined to play on his contract. Ben searched for big money. So after the 1966 campaign, he returned home and played one frustrating year with the New Orleans Saints. I took a position and just felt I was making the kind of contribution I wanted to be rewarded for, Taylor said. The move proved beneficial. After his career ended, Taylor spent 18 years working as a color commentator, later as a scout for the Saints. He and Lombardi had passed up their differences, and when Lombardi and when Taylor went into the Hall of Fame, he asked Maria Lombardi to give the introductory speech. After Vince went to the Redskins in 1968, we had dinner one night, Taylor recalled. And after that, everything was great again. Almost as great as Taylor's days with the Packers. When I got drafted by Green Bay, I didn't know anything about it or where Green Bay even was, Taylor said. <coughs> but for me, it turned out to be a stroke of luck because they needed running backs. And Coach Lombardi came along the next year. At that time, I just said, I'll go there and do my job, and I think things will work out fine. Anyone who saw Taylor play would certainly agree. Well, here's what I'm thinking about the whole situation. <laughs> um, you know, some of the things I've read about Taylor and Sam Hoff are just brutal. And yet we have to remember too is how much money they didn't get paid back then. These guys play for the love of the game. You know, and, and I've seen a lot, I've seen these books. You know, they call for the love of the game and stuff like that. The reality was, they're just, they're just book titles. They play the actual game for love of the game. You know, and you would see the, uh, when you watch the films and you watch the stuff that I see, <laughs> I've watched that with Game Live at 62 a couple of times off YouTube. You're going to see the conditions. And the thing is, too, it was played on dirt. There was no grass. It was all spray painted green for TV. It was black and white. <laughs> you know, it doesn't want to look that much different. The thing was, too, is that, you know, it's, when you play at LSU, he played in a great history for football. And he didn't know where Green Bay was, which I can understand totally. Because as salt is, as salt is, as uh, Louisiana is, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, as North as Green Bay is, they're on two polar opposites, it seems like. In the United States, especially. But the thing was, was that you know, through uh, Taylor, Starr, Horning, Kramer, all these guys on offense, Forrest Gregg, 
they were all tough minded people. And that's how Lombardi had shaped him to be. You know, he got all these tough, you know, he got the defense was great too, but obviously, but it was the offense that that took the uh, eight plays they had in the playbook, which I've been told by Jerry Kramer, and put into a, uh, put into motion. And they only did one thing. They executed them to perfection. And that's where you see these shows on them. Powers sleep and that stuff, the Green Bay Packers sleep, and they kept running it again and again and again and again. And, uh, you know, Ford was so passionate about that stuff. That's the reason they won. <laughs> wasn't it about the one players, wasn't it about these certain uh, awesome uh, play calls or the uh, anything like that. It was about the execution of the plays. So, anyways, I hope everybody enjoyed it. And if nobody else has told you, that's in love you today. I do. And that's with the power of love.